Well, hello there, and welcome to another edition of Servant's Heart Chapel. I hope uh, this particular episode is a special blessing to you. So let's get right to it. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord for His grace and mercy today. I thank God for each of you here with us today as we worship together. If you have your Bibles, and I certainly hope you do, turn to Acts chapter 17. Acts chapter 17, we're going to continue with that. We start what we started uh, last Sunday. Now we kind of wrap things, we kind of stopped at verse 18, where it says, Then also some of the Epicurean and Stoic philosophers argued with him. Some said, What is this pseudo intellectual trying to say? Now, mind you, Paul is in Athens. He is uh, he's been watching and waiting and praying, waiting for his companions to join him, but also kind of watching what's going on around him, the people around him. And so finally he begins to interact with them and discuss things with them. And uh, they, they don't like that too much. Remember the the Epicureans were kind of, and, and both the Epicurean and Stoic philosophies are still very much alive today. Different names, different forms, but it's still out there. Epicureans uh, believed um, the, the greatest goal in one's life is to get as much pleasure as you can from it. Eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we may die. That was their motto. And, and they live by it, so every day, and today we see that people trying to get as much pleasure and, and power and wealth as they can in this life, right? This life is all there is. They believe there was no God. They were atheists, the Stoics. Um, the Stoics uh, believe God was everywhere. In essence, another form of there is no God. Oh, God's everywhere. The, the tree is God, the ground is grass is God, we are God. Um, pan, they're pantheistic. Uh, and and their, their idea of, the, of achieving the greatest goal in life was to not let life beat you down, to be strong, to be unbroken. And we mentioned that movie uh, last week. That's the Stoic philosophy. The, and their motto could be, as I mentioned last week, I could be a grin and bear it. So these are the people that he's talking to, and they say, what is this pseudo-intellectual trying to say? Now, that's my Bible as a, as a dynamic translation because the literal translation for what they said was, who is this seed picker? Well, that doesn't mean much to us, does it? It's really one who, who picks at scraps. It was a disparaging term. Like he doesn't, he's not, who is this guy? Who is this know-nothing? And they, uh, what's he trying to say? Others replied, he seems to be a preacher of foreign deities. Because, and because it's, it's the, uh, Luke here says why, because he was 
telling the good news about Jesus and the resurrection. Well, that's a good conclusion to come to. Uh, verse 19, they took him and brought him to the Areopagus and said, may we learn about this new teaching you're speaking of? Now, that word took is interesting. Uh, it, it's more than just, hey, come with us. It actually means they physically grabbed him. They arrested him and, and forced him to go with them to the Areopagus, or, uh, Mars Hill, which is still there is still there today. If you travel to Athens, you can actually stand where Paul stood and see the arena where people sat. Um, and Areopagus was a court. Um, it was the oldest and most famous court in Athens. And they had jurisdiction in moral, religious, and civil matters. So they took this guy to this court, took Paul to this court, and, uh, and asked, you know, let's learn this new teaching you're speaking of. Verse 20, for what you say sounds strange to us, and we want to know what these ideas mean. Now all the Athenians and the foreigners residing there spent their time on nothing else but telling or hearing something new. That's what they did all day long, just told new stuff, listened to new stuff. They were only searching for novel stuff. They didn't care about the truth all that much. It reminds me of uh, a character. It reminds me of a character in the, in the book, uh, The Great Divorce by C.S. Lewis. And I was thinking about it. I think I quote that book more in my sermons uh, than any other uh, writing, uh, obviously other than the Bible. I... I just I, I just keep thinking if as I'm 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 going through God's word and seeing how it applies in our life, I keep thinking of different characters in this in this book. And and I so if you haven't read it, I would encourage you to do so. Um, there's really two books that I would encourage every Christian to read uh, more than once, make it regular practice. Uh, number one is Pilgrim's Progress by by John Bunyan. Uh, it's all about the Christian life. <clears throat> you want to get the old English version. Uh, it may be harder to read, but it has all these scripture references. Everything that's talked about um, has a scripture reference. And 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 it's. I think that's important to do. As you're reading it, kind of stop and go, okay, what does the Bible have to say about this? Uh, for some reason, the modern translations don't have that. They, they cut it out. I, I, it makes me sad. Um. So Pilgrim's Progress and then The Great Divorce by C.S. Lewis. Um, but there's this one character in The Great Divorce. There's a ghost. So these ghosts are, are, are visiting heaven, right? That's, that's the allegory. That it's, it's, um, the ghosts enjoyed this, this particular uh, character enjoyed asking questions strictly for discussion or debate, not actually learning the truth. He was an intellectual. He, he had multiple doctorate degrees, and, 
and spent his whole life in, in academics and, and writing papers and books and analyzing and reanalyzing uh, various aspects of the Bible and historical stuff. And, 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 and so he spent his whole life doing this. And he's talking to a spirit, a Christian, uh, who's a friend of his, a peer at one time, and then he became a Christian. So then uh, I'm going to read a quote from, from the book. Listen, said the white spirit, talking to the, the ghost, the intellectual ghost. Once you were a child, once you knew what inquiry was for, there was a time when you asked questions because you wanted answers and were glad when you found them. Become that child again, even now. A lot of people, so this, this, this problem with people getting sidetracked on the quest Forgetting that they were trying to reach an endpoint, and they and they get they get sidetracked on and philosophy, and and questions and debates, uh, and 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 setting up arguments for this or that, and they forget that they were actually searching for truth. They wanted to know what was true. And sometimes we need to step back and, and remember what it was like to be a child. We asked the why, remember? Cuddy would ask why a thousand times a day, seemingly, when he was four and five years old. And China was, was not much different. They, they both asked a lot, why? Why is this this way? What were they doing? They were trying to reach an understanding of the reality around them. The devil would have us get sidetracked and forget that, forget that we were trying to, to find truth. And that's what happened here in, in, in Athens. These, these philosophers and the, all these people hanging out in Athens, they were just, they were just interested in hearing something new and interesting. So then we're about to we're about to go into Paul witnessing to these these people uh, sharing the gospel, and this is one example of witnessing. God calls us to witness. There's um there's a number of different styles of you know God calls you to witness, not just me, not just a pastor. Everybody. But and you may say, "Oh, I can't do what you do, Pastor Daryl. You don't need to. You do it the way God has designed you and given you the skills and talent for." And the Bible gives multiple examples of different styles of witnessing. Now, I'm not going to. I'm just going to uh, read a list here, and you might make note of one or two of them that applies to your style. Um, and you can search the scriptures. I'm going to read scripture chapters for you, but we're not going to get into each chapter. We just don't have time for that today. Now here's the styles of witnessing. There's six styles. One is, is confrontational, which we saw in Acts chapter 2, where you confront someone. 
with the reality of their sin and their lostness. And sometimes, sometimes it can be very straightforward. I remember a story of John Newton after he got saved. Remember, he was he was a captain uh, of a slave ship, and after he got saved, he went to his men uh, sometime sometime later, and and just with tears running down his face, he expresses concern. That they were going to hell. And many of them. At that point. Surrendered their hearts to Christ. That's confrontation. Sometimes, call, sometimes God calls us to, to do it that way. Uh, the second one. Is uh, intellectual witnessing. As we see, see in Acts 17. We're gonna, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to not get into that now. Because we're about to get into that. But it's intellectual uh, witnessing. The third one is testimonial. In John chapter 9, we see an example of that. We testify what Jesus did for me. Jesus Christ changed my life. And I've used that many times. I talk about the way I was, how miserable I was. I talk about how all my friends back in high school, how their paths are so different from mine. God has blessed me with a beautiful family and a beautiful life and a ministry and an ability to have an impact on the lives of others and a very comfortable living. Well, my, my best friends have suffered jail and addiction and and just bitterness and anger and all the, the the consequences of deep deep sin even physical so many of my friend my close friends look and talk way older than me and it's because of sin the impact of sin on their lives As a testimonial. Number four, the fourth style of witnessing is relational. Relational. That's in Mark chapter 5. An example of that is in Mark 5, uh, where Jesus uh, advises uh, someone who's been healed to go back to his friends and family and tell them what God's done for. So, people you know, you interact with, you're living and you're telling. You're, 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 you're proclaiming the gospel in two different ways. You're telling them about that. When you get opportunities, but first and foremost, you're living it. People watch you, they see what you do, see how you act, see how you behave. I, uh, I taught uh, men's ranch again, it's been a few months since I've done that because of the pandemic. So this Friday, I taught a class in the, in the men's ranch. And there was one young man, uh, he was testifying. He was clearly testifying that he didn't want to be there. His brother was in the ranch, and I have a feeling he went because his brother went. His brother was listening to every word I had to say and interacting. Well, he was 
drawing and, and, and daydreaming and wishing he wasn't there. He was testifying but something very different than what we're supposed to. How do, how do you, what does your life testify to? Does it testify that you actually enjoy being a Christian? That you enjoy following God? Does it testify that you hate the world? That you hate sin? That's relational. The, the number five is, is uh, invitational. The fifth style of witnessing is invitational. We see an example of that in John 4. We invite people. Invite people into a relationship with God. Come on. Stop fighting. It's time. It's like when my mom, my mom got saved at 50 years old. And then... My dad could tell that God was working in her heart. And he finally sat down next to her and he said, Jeannie, I think it's time. It's time for you to surrender your life to God. And that was an invitation. Come ye who are weary and heavy laden and I will give you rest. I will give you rest. And then we have uh, the sixth uh, style of witnessing is serving. As we see an example of that in Acts 9, serving. And Dorcas, uh, uh, she, she uh, did so much for the people in her community. She served and she, and she uh, let the light of Christ shine her life from her service. So which style are you as you as you've heard these which speaks to you it could be more than one often is but which one of these are you using to reach a lost and hurting world And finally in verse uh, let's go to verse 22 so we start this this proclamation this testimony that Paul gives And Paul stood in the middle uh, the uh, Areopagus and said, Men of Athens, I see that you are extremely religious in every respect. That wasn't uh, a disparaging remark, by the way. That wasn't a criticism. That was actually a compliment. He was paying them a compliment. You're, you're very religious. You're, you're trying to do what's right. You're trying to, to please somebody. Verse 23. For as I was passing through, and observed the objects of your worship, I even found an altar which was inscribed to an unknown God. They didn't know who he was. Paul, the only reason, mind you, that Paul noticed this was because Paul was paying attention. He was paying attention to the people around him. And what's going on around him in the daily life of those that he interacted with. And I wonder how much we pay attention to those around us. What do, you, do, you, do you pay attention to the people around you? And if so, what, what do the people around you worship? 
You should know that. You should know what your neighbors worship. You should know what your co-workers worship. I know a lot of my co-workers, I was telling uh, Marcos about this last night back in the Air Force. I knew that I, my, all my co-workers worshipped alcohol. They love their beer. They love uh, their, their whiskey. They love looking forward every weekend and, and getting wasted. That was what they worshipped. And it's important to know that. Because that, that allows you to speak to where they're at, as Paul does here. Where we introduce God. Paul introduces the one true and living God to people who had never heard of him before. Outright pagans. And he said, uh, continues here in verse 23, Therefore what you worship in ignorance, speaking of to the unknown God. So, so Paul says this is a description, says to the unknown God, and he's saying, I'm going to tell you who this God is. This God you don't know, I'm going to tell you all about him. He said, therefore, what you worship in ignorance, this I proclaim to you. Verse 24, the God who made the world and everything in it. He is Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in shrines made by hands. There's a lot in that verse. First off, he says, the God who made the world and everything. Not a God. There are no other gods. There is only one God. There is only one sovereign, true, living God. Amen? And he made the world and everything in it. Now this directly contradicted the Epicureans and the Stoics. As I talked about, the Epicureans were atheists. The Stoics were pantheists. And so he outright, first, in the very beginning, said this is not who you think God is. You're wrong in your philosophy. That he is Lord. He said he is Lord. You know what Lord means? Lord means I'm in charge. He used to have uh, Lord of the manor. Lord domain. I am Lord of this little one-third of an acre right here. This is my domain right here. But God is Lord of all. He is ultimately in charge and sovereign over everything. The universe and everything in it. And he doesn't live in shrines made by hands. A lot of the pagans make these little temples and shrines. And, and think that the God, their God lives in that. He said, no, the true God doesn't. He doesn't live in any shrine made by hands. Verse 25 Neither is he served by human hands as though he needed anything. God doesn't need anything from us. Did you know that? A lot of times I hear people talk to God like they're trying to, uh, uh, to do him a favor. Okay, I'll serve you, God. I'll, I'll do what you want me to do. Like we're doing him a favor. God doesn't need anything from us. He is doing us a favor. 
by giving us the opportunity to live right with him. Since he himself, as verse 25, since he himself gives everyone life and breath and all things. Did you know that? That God gives you life. God, Every breath that you take, God has given you that. Did you know that? Everything you have, God has given to you. God has allowed you to have it. Whatever blessing... Whatever blessing you have, God has allowed you to have that. Verse 26, from one man, he has made every nationality to live under the whole earth and has determined their appointed times and the boundaries of where they live. What does that mean? That means God even controls what nations rise and fall and how big their nations get. Did you know that God controls that? Verse 27, he did this so they might seek God and perhaps they might reach out and find him. Though he's not far from each one of us, God is never far from any of us. It may feel like it sometimes, but God is not. Verse 28, for in, in him we live and move and exist, even as some of your own poets have said, for we are also his offspring. Paul quotes an ancient Greek poet by the name of Aratus, about 300 years before Paul. He quotes them in their own uh, literary hero. How many of us can do that with people that we, we, we know, we reach out to? I may even do a better, need to do a better job. Verse 29, being God's offspring then, we shouldn't think the divine nature is like gold or silver or stone. Did you know that? That, that God is, is not made of gold, silver, or stone, right? An image fashioned by art and, and imagine, human art and imagination. A lot of people try to make God into the way they want him. Have you ever known people like that? They, they well... I believe this. They, they, oh, I believe the Bible, but, you know, I believe that I can basically live the way I want to live, and God's not going to hold me accountable. I had one guy tell me that he didn't need to pray to God. He believes in God, but I don't need to pray to him. They make, they make God into, into what they imagine. Verse 30, therefore, having overlooked the times of ignorance, God now commands all people everywhere to repent. Did you know that? God commands everyone to repent, to turn away, to make a decision. I'm no longer going to live this way. I'm going to live for God.
verse 31, because he has set a day when he's going to judge the world in righteousness by the man he has appointed. And that man is Jesus. How do we know that? Because in the very next sentence, it says he's provided proof of this to everyone by raising him from the dead. So God commands everyone to repent. Why? Because God has scheduled a judgment day. Jesus is going to preside over it, and we are going to be held accountable for every word, thought, and deed we have ever done. And if, if sin is not under the blood, if we haven't confessed and forsaken it, it is going to be held against us. The day is coming, guys. Verse 32. When they heard about the resurrection of the dead, some began to ridicule him. They thought, the dead rising, are you crazy? But others said, we'd like to hear from you again about this. Now that's kind of dangerous. I want to hear about it again. That, 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 that again infers, we're not going to make a decision right now. We're going to hear more about it at a later time. There's a story. There's a story of Satan having a planning session in hell. And he asked, how shall we ruin the souls of men? And one demon stands up and says, I will go and start a great movement. I will tell men that God is dead. No, that won't work, replied Satan. We've already tried it. There's too much evidence for God on the design of creation. Men know there is a God. Another demon stood up and said, I've got a plan. <coughs> Pardon me. I'll go and tell men the Bible... I'll go tell men the Bible is not true. Satan said, we've worked a lot on that and haven't had a great deal of success. There's something about the Bible that is self-authenticating. The third demon stood up and said, I will go tell men there is a God. The Bible is his word. Jesus is the son and he did die for them. But there is still time. You don't have to make a decision right now they don't have to come to repentance and faith in him just yet i will tell them to eat drink and be merry today because they can always repent tomorrow then satan stood up and said now you've got something that will do the job procrastination will ruin the souls of many many men that's what we're afraid of. If, 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 if there's something you need to get right in your life before God, do not wait. Do not hesitate. Take care of it now. Take care of it today. Today is a day of salvation. Why wait? Everybody that I've, I've talked to who, who waited and then finally got their heart right with God, 
regretted waiting. Like, why did I wait? Why did I suffer so much? Why did I allow myself so much pain and torment when I could have gotten my heart clear before God and be where I'm at now? The wasted years. And that's what we're afraid is happening here in, in, this, in, in Acts chapter 17. But then verse 33, then Paul left their presence. Paul left their presence. However, some men joined him and believed, including Dionysius, the Arapagite. Dionysius was one of the judges at Mars Hill. So here's a pagan judge who's heard many cases. And he and he believed. Church tradition has it that he was the first bishop of Athens. And he died a martyr's death. Died for his faith. So Dionysus uh, got saved and then a woman named Damaris and others with him. So others, people from this crowd that, that listened to Paul came to know Christ. Praise the Lord for that. Praise the Lord for his grace and his mercy. Thank God that we have a real God and we can know him and have a relationship with him. That is so wonderful. Praise the Lord. All right, let's stand and, and, and close in prayer. Well, I hope you enjoyed uh, today's episode. If you have any questions, feel free to email us at servantsheartchapel at gmail.com. Also, we have a website, servantsheartchapel.org. Um, we also have a Facebook page. So you're welcome to check us out. Love to hear from you, prayer requests, anything you may need. We are here for you. Have a wonderful and blessed day.